This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and a warm welcome to the show, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming down the Talking TV slipway this week, we discuss ITV's difficult start to the year and Avalon and Hattrick's audacious £100 million bid for BBC Three. Sticking with the youth channel, we'll then sink our teeth into its latest offering, I Survived a Zombie Apocalypse, for our regular producer interview. And finally, on the preview slate will be Jimmy McGovern's Banished and the new show from the creator of the Teletubbies. You won't want to miss a moment. Joining me in the salubrious surroundings of Maple Street Studios is broadcast features editor Robin Parker. Welcome, sir. Hello again. Good morning. Uh, and, uh, and making her talking TV debut is the inimitable Camilla Lewis, founder of Kerr Media. Hello there. Where, where, how's, how's it going? Good to have you. We're st- I'm still here, so that's good, isn't it? And you've got uh, Richard Wilson on ITV at the moment, haven't you? I think Rich Wilson's just finished on ITV, but we have got nine series in production, so I think that's okay, but it's en- endlessly... Nine series? Nine series are in production, <laughs> but we are endlessly nervous and panicked and um, constantly think, you know, oh my gosh, doom is around the corner. Because, you, you know, we're, we're a medium-sized indie and we have to keep, keep in the game. OK, we'll, we'll crack on with our first news item uh, and we'll head over to ITV where Elaine Bedell has pledged to re-energise the broadcaster's entertainment slate following a rough start to 2015. She admitted that launches like Harry Hill's Stars in Their Eyes have not performed as well as ITV had planned and she bemoaned the absence of Dancing on Ice. ITV is now pinning its hopes on Bear Grylls' Mission Survive, which launches tonight, and a wave of other fresh formats, including an adaptation of US hit Ninja Warrior. Uh, Worst January on record, Robin. Uh, Weekend woes as well. It hasn't made particularly pleasant reading for ITV, has it? No, it hasn't. I mean, No Dancing on Ice and Rising Star had to be canned in in development. Which which would have filled the Dancing on Ice slot. Yes, I mean, who knows which way that would have gone, and there are obviously many factors involved in that cancellation. So what we're left with is some small, weak performers uh, up against the the might of the voice, which feels like it's just, you know, it's firing on all cylinders at the moment. Rita Ora has brought new life into that, and the the judges are are doing what they do well, and it just seems to have a bit of energy behind it. Obviously, Anton Decker back this Saturday, so who knows which way that battle will go. But it does feel like when Stars in Their Eyes debuted in particular, this was another resurrected format, given a slightly ironic spin. It hasn't quite gelled. Um, what did you make of it? Enjoyed at first, but the novelty soon wears off, I think it's fair to say. I, I really enjoyed it, actually. I yeah. thought it was a really interesting <laughs> risk factor. And actually, I think a lot of talk about it, but actually watching it, it, it actually, I thought, had real potential to work. Yeah, tonally, it's quite mad for ITV. But on then a Saturday I think, night. I think, so, well, so Saturday night takeaway. If you look at it in isolation, <laughs> yeah. I mean, often the it shows was a gamble. are. It could, it could, it could have worked, and the, the ingredients are there. But, but ITV doesn't give it. You hasn't got the can't give it commercially the time for things to to really. I mean, because no. you know, in the way that maybe other channels would, would sometimes give two, three series for you to really bed in and, and work out what which bits work and, and to take the zanier elements yeah. and either make them work better to the audience. ITV hasn't got that luxury. They really have to hit the ground running. I mean, I think they've had a really hard start to the year and I think Rising I mean, Starters, it's really interesting how this desire to bring in formats from abroad you know, can really hold you up to ransom because then if they don't work and it's a bit early days, you're, you're in a dangerous place. But equally, look at the voice. I mean, it's a perfect example of an you know, external format Something working that's fantastically. Right. Something yeah. that's gone right. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Elaine bemoaned in our piece in broadcast, you know, the fact that she's not had a live show in January. That's something that, that she really feels is lacking. I mean, st- yeah, stars and Harry Hill talks from the start about our not live final, and that's the part that's part of the joke that it's not live. <laughs> it's not a, even a live show, although it's obviously presented as a studio show, which 
And a bit of the but takeaway, I mean, is coming back. So exactly. I, mean, I think I think it's yeah. been a very difficult start for them. But takeaway will please, you know, please, goodness, hope, hopefully, rate for them with the broadcast award winning once again. Yeah. Takeaway. Well, they've dressed them up as superheroes for the uh, <laughs> for the promotion. So they are and they're, they're literally coming to the rescue. And they were on, and they were on like... Jonathan Ross when they last last weekend, and he was, he was poking some fun at them, them being the ones to save the channel when everything else is done. Yeah, I think he said that uh, if it wasn't front and deck, uh, him and Paddy McGuinness would be back at the bins or something like that. But for, for an overview, I think the really interesting thing that Elaine's done, which I think is happening across channels in sort of a slightly different way, is, is commissioning someone like Betty to do Bear Grylls, which I think is a really interesting place because if you look at how 2-4 have done The Jump and I can't remember the other one, they've done big big big, big entertainment series. Factual producers traditionally not not having done entertainment. Well, it's Splash, it, right? Well, Splash, thanks. That's, that's exactly the one I was thinking of. But, you know, I think it's I think there's there's a quite an interesting thing going on here, which is that, that, that maybe there's a different answer to, to hitting the entertainment. And I think mm. you know, they're definitely open to it at ITV. Um, and I think they've actually got some, a very open approach towards commissioning. So I think it, it, we've just got to give them a bit of time. There has been a shift mm. and, and, and a real loss. I mean, we can't... Un- Underemphasised the the loss of Rising Star because I think that was a huge. I think a lot of hopes were pinned on that, and I think you know I understand entirely why that risk process was taken. But what a loss for them because it really didn't leave them scuppered, and that's why January is like this, really, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, let's let's hope Bear Grylls works because a, a strong ITV is important, isn't it? It is, and, and obviously he's had success on the various other channels, including Channel Four, recently. Um, and it's and, celebrities, and, not celebrities. You know, there's, a, there's, there's a touch of almost celebrity there as well, isn't there? Don't shy away from that. But I think it's interesting what you say about about factual producers because I think there is a lot of potential success in the kind of the hybrid at the moment. Mm, and just look at, look at Gogglebox on Channel uh, Four. I mean, that's, I, I, that's a big entertainment show. It's a big funny show. But brilliantly, but it's about come Channel from 4. but it's come from a factual. Yes, but the difference between background. Channel Four and ITV, and this is in a way you know sort of seeps into what we're going to talk about about BBC Three, is that Channel Four often allows shows to grow and actually you know Gogglebox series one episode one wasn't what it is now and actually the same is true of almost all hits across all channels and, and things like you know Channel 4 will allow Come Die With Me to sort of sit in daytime and then bash it into primetime I mean historically that's the way the problem with ITV is you've got to hit the ground running and Bear Grylls is a risk because of course although we all know him as television talent and understand his you know move across channels and what he can bring to a party and he is great it's, it's getting an ITV one audience to buy in to it is hard but but the celebrities is a very clever way in because Richard Wilson which we've just done for on, on the road for, for ITV1 you know so much of that it, you know without being too cynical it's not a brand new idea to have someone doing a travelogue I'd be the first to admit it but putting Richard Wilson on it means you're going to bring an audience it's a routine well it's, it's a, a routine I mean, and I think ITV, ITV1 really needs that so I think it is really hard for them to launch new formats and I, and I think of all the channels they they have the hardest job in, in, in you know hitting the ground running isn't the challenge that you can't it's very hard to launch mid-sized so because you have things like the voice and, and take away the x factor all kind of firing on all cylinders at this big level our audience is going to come to a, a medium-sized studio show well, I think that's, you're absolutely right i mean just to say that for me the whole the, the issue with the voice and and x factor well x factor particularly and got talent is that they they, they sort of redefined a, a landscape and then everyone else sort of panicked and sort of stood, stood away from what they could do so i think in a way people sort of are scared of these megalithic monstrously huge successful shows and instead of thinking what does success look like maybe we need to redefine what success is okay moving on in the final week of the bbc trust consultation on closing bbc3 avalon and hattrick have submitted their 100 million pound rescue bid for the youth channel 
Uh, John Dode and Jimmy Melville say that high-profile backers will join their mission in the near future and have called on other production companies to pick up their pitchforks to save BBC Three from moving online. Thode and Mulville say their proposals are an alternative vision for the channel, offering an option that is to the ultimate benefit of the licence fee payer. Does it feel like this is gathering momentum, Camilla, do you think? I mean, this is definitely gathering momentum. When I first heard about it, I thought, you're joking, that's hilarious. I mean, it sounded like a joke. It really did sound like a joke. I wasn't sure it was a genuine news article or whether I'd missed April Fool's Day. Pop up on Have I Got News For You. Well, it felt like that. It felt like it was... It was was a bit like when Noel Edmonds made his bid for the BBC, wasn't it? (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't quite that bad. No, no, but it's it's still a bit out of the the industry, everyone was a bit, whoa, what's that about? Um, But but to be honest with you, the weirdest thing is is that not only has the momentum grown, I am now, like, you know, I feel like I'm a signed-up member of the momentum, <laughs> momentum party because are I, you pledging your support Camilla well I mean I think it's are difficult you program director? I am actually I don't like to mention it <laughs> sorry about that Rob I think what's really interesting is I think BBC Three has historically and it, obviously its history isn't that long and in the last 10 years been so responsible for some of the most important formats including the successes please please goodness for, for BBC One's Don't Tell the Bride coming up you know it really is a ground for, for the BBC to, to try out formats and be much more risky than it would ever dare to be on two and one to get rid of it off terrestrial, to me, it seems like madness to me off the digital channel network because all I see around me everywhere is Vice TV and Vice desperate for a TV channel, all the um, online portals desperate to have a television platform and the BBC giving it away. I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense in spite of like Damien's best intentions and he's a brilliant controller to have. But I'm just not sure that taking it digitally is right. I, I'm not sure how much the real sense of how children watch television and and young adults watch television has been taken into account because I think that is at the heart of why I now feel like, yeah, why not go commercial with BBC Three? It's it's going to make money for the BBC. It doesn't lose the platform. It It will serve an audience that will be poorly served elsewhere. I mean, it makes total sense to have it existing as a channel to me. It's complicated, though, and uh, is, yes. Jimmy, Jimmy, and John are hoping that the trust will compel the BBC management into sort of sitting down and having some sort of serious discussions. Yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like it's just been a closed door so far. There's just been well, I mean, they rejection. say they say that the BBC uh, and more specifically Danny Cohen has refused mm. to engage. Mm. The BBC paint a slightly different picture. They say the door has always been open, but they've been waiting for formal proposals to be submitted. Which is what's happening now. Which has happened now, yeah. and I guess the next round of discussions may be more serious and, yes. uh, and perhaps have a better, more pragmatic outcome. Mm. I mean, obviously, they're two very, let's say, force, forceful personalities and can be very persuasive. So oh, you so, speak. So, so I spoke to them this week so about I'm sure. it. It's hard not to get swayed by yeah. their argument when you're listening to them. They, they speak intelligently. They're passionate about the brand. They're extremely successful commercially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've encountered some cynicism from other producers, particularly in sort of comedy and entertainment, because obviously there's the Avalon involvement. And there's this feeling that, you know, Avalon gets a lot of its clients on TV anyway. You know, are they just going to be trying to control Aren't they going to have a separate... I mean, isn't their, their plan that they would actually have a separate sort of body? I mean, That's they're right. commercial. I think there's a mistake to think like that. I mean, really brilliant commercial people operate in a very, very sharp way. The best commercial channels really get great ideas. They will always commission the great ideas. So you're right. You know, It feels like, oh, Avalon, we don't want them to take over the world. But actually the reality is if they're commercial and if they got to that level of success, they're never going to just be you know, solely operating in their own advantage because it doesn't make commercial sense. Yeah, they're saying they'll run the channel well, they'll completely run the channel independently. To, because they're going to want to make but money they want out to, of it. But they want to maintain their indie status. That's, that's at the bottom line here. Right, and right. I, I think the suggestion is that they've got enough backers mm. to actually not have a huge stake in this new proposition. 
do you find other people sharing your enthusiasm for it now? Or is it still I think that, there? yes, I think that those that, that love what BBC Three can do are excited about the prop- proposition of it still existing as a channel because I think, I think you know, the way people watch, watch the screen, we've spent so long, you know, beating ourselves up about people who are not going to watch telly anymore. There was a whole argument, I remember a few years back, when everyone thought, oh, let's give up telly, let's just make programmes for Kellogg's or whoever, because, you know, it's not going to exist. I never got panicked about it. I mean, I, I've got four children and I watch them watch telly and the eldest is, is you know, quite an old teenager. And I see them watching and I see how they, you know, they imbibe. And it isn't as we think. They don't just give up on television because there are other media. They yeah. use other media and television. And when it's really good television, they're hooked. They're completely hooked they're into watch. it. So actually, I think, you know, com- bringing commercial forces in. I mean, I don't think this is true of, of, of BBC per se, and ideally it would sit as BBC Three within the BBC structure, but if it's going to go, it shouldn't go wholly, is what I feel. Finally this week, a couple of commissions to chew over. Uh, we'll start with Brian Cox moving to BBC One with a new series explaining the science behind Earth's natural beauty. Brian moving to BBC One? Is that, I mean, it, it, it feels... He gets big enough audiences on BBC Three, Yeah, it feels it? like the inevitable move for him. He's, you know, he's a very popular face and he's very accessible and... He's good at tackling the big subjects and the big questions on a variety of levels, from you know, Radio 4, BBC 2, and why not for BBC 1? It feels it feels right in the heartland of what BBC 1 should be doing with popular science. And this is a really good example of someone who I think will, will find their feet. They've got a good name. You can see why shows growing elsewhere and moving to one. It feels like exactly how the BBC should operate, and, and I'm sure he'll be great. Another loss for BBC 2, though. Oh, it must be frustrating. They've got a chance to do is a new it, science. Is there a total loss, though? I mean, <laughs> great news, I'd he, say. I mean, he'll be able to do some other things with BBC Two. Presumably, it's not. It's, it's just his flagship series going to work. Well, they've made no suggestion that the move is wholesale, but you know, you presume that he continue to do Stargazing live yeah. and things yeah. like that. But, but, but uh, let's them try new talent. I yeah. mean, I think yeah. I think I'm sure Kim, who's not scared of challenge, will see this as an opportunity to bring in new people and then hopefully move them on to. I mean, it's not it's not that one's better than two. It's just serving a, a wider audience mm. in, a, in a slightly different way. Okay, we're well, sticking with the. BBC just a year after acting the review show. BBC Two is launching a new topical arts programme. Arts Night will air after News Night every Friday evening next month and will be guest edited by a host of cultural big hitters, including Armando Iannucci. What do we make of this? I mean, I ha- I've got a bit of a problem with this, so maybe maybe I should I should stop speaking now. I mean, it's, it seems. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a bit of a. I can. It's ticking a box. It feels like it's a quota exercise. They've got to do their arts television because where's the diversity in that list? I'm actually slightly. I mean, they're brilliant talent. The first four people guest editing the show, and what a great idea to have guest editors. But really, couldn't is there, are there? Is there no black talent out there? Is there no one from any diverse background who could have been approached? Are we not trying to hit a wider audience with arts when we're using the same production team who? Ma- who've made the shows historically to yeah, continue to make it. House. It will yeah. be made beautifully. It will be a beautiful show, but will it hit anything other than a very, very na- narrow demographic? I have got a problem with that because arts is the nation's you know, pastime in many ways and we should be hitting much more real and visceral arts, which are diverse. So, I, I mean, I can see why it's happened. It's a quota thing and it's an in-house production. This is all part of Tony Hall's big arts vision. I, th- I think that's that's the big part of it, isn't it? It was, it, it was axed and then... Or sort of quietly rested, and then then the new DG comes in, and who's you know doesn't sit very well with his, no. He's, his he's all about he's all about art. So this is a, a a quick win. I mean, it's gone through various incarnations, sort of bit of tinkering here and there. It's always been a bit Radio Four on mm. the BBC. T- BBC Don't you think it's going to be now? No, so I mean, and it feels like it'll be another variant of that. And I think if that existed alongside. Some more accessible shows, yes. a, a BBC Three type show as well would would be great. But if if this is their main 
then it's a bit regular slot for the arts. It exactly, feels a bit exactly. It feels a bit cynical, and, and and in a way, it, it makes everyone feel happy that it's there. But but you're absolutely right. If it existed alongside a wider diet, I think that's great. I mean, it's exciting about the big. Um, is it called the Big Paint Challenge or what it's called? The, oh yeah, I've um, forgotten the name. Of it. <laughs> I mean, but, but, but you know, I, they've for years. I mean, I was there when <laughs> Royal Farris did the Paintathon, and you know, <laughs> a, 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 working in the house at the BBC. So I mean, I know how important getting popular arts is, but it feels like it's not it shouldn't just be down to one. It should be down to BBC Ooh, Two too. Okay. Food for thought for you there, Tony. Uh, that's your news for this episode. My thanks to Robin and Camilla. Uh, now then, you may be forgiven for thinking that when it comes to zombies, the world's TV and movie makers have covered just about every angle. Think again. On Sunday, BBC Three launched the first and probably only game show dedicated to the genre. I Survived a Zombie Apocalypse dumps eight have-a-go heroes in the alternate reality of a zombie-infested shopping centre in Scotland. To stay in the seven-day game show, they must avoid being touched by one of the undead and build a community with their fellow survivors as they await a rescue. The eight-part series is made by Tiger Aspect. We caught up with executive producer Sebastian Grant outside the comfort of our studio in Soho. Just before you hear from him, here's a clip from the first episode. Attention, survivors. Do you read me? Yeah, we can hear you. Tell me your name, survivors. Amina. Come on. Was anyone attacked by zombies on the way into the base? No. We're going to try and help you survive until it's safe to attempt a rescue in seven days' time. So hold tight and listen to our instructions. This communications room is our way of staying in touch with you and you with us. If you haven't already done so, take stock of your supplies and don't forget to sleep and eat. Thank you, survivors. We'll be in touch. Well, welcome, Sebastian. Thanks for joining us. Hi. So could you just tell us where on earth the inspiration for the show came from? I'd like to say it was uh, one person's idea from the beginning to the end, but it went through many different stages. Originally, they were looking at a reality show and looking at all the elements that make a good reality show. And it was, you know, a group of strangers that come together who have to do certain challenges and get eliminated. And I think someone in a meeting just went, oh, it sounds like a zombie film. It was originally a game show. And I think the idea was you know, to try and use the zombies as timers. So in a sim- very simplistic terms, to for a series of people to do games, and if they can do them quick enough, they live, and if they can't do them quick enough, the zombies get them. On screen, it does look ambitious, and it looks, it looks quite glossy as well. I mean, there's lots of nods to zombie classics in there, so we're not trying to like, come up with some new genre, zombie genre. It's all very much an homage to all of these different bits. So Shopping Centre was very much on the cards from the off. The challenge for us was just finding somewhere that was suitably apocalypse that we could control. So we looked at quite a lot of places, but you know, you'd hear cars or you'd hear people would be moving around or we wouldn't be able to control that area. We made this programme in Scotland and we were really lucky with the place. I mean, what was one company's misfortune in building a shopping centre in a very odd place and eerie place was, you know, our luck. So was it disused? You know, it was used. It just went bust. When we first went there, it was actually one of the first places we went to. There was uh, me and Andy, one of the other execs and a couple of people from our uh, production team. And as soon as we walked in, we were like, this is re- really creepy. This <laughs> place is creepy. Like it was creepy. And so that in, it, in itself was in its favour. 
we uh, took the director up there and we looked at it and we were like, can we do this, do you think? And we were like, yeah, I think we can. So then it was just a case of trying to make that whole place feel as apocalyptic as possible. So how did you go about that? Well, we watched a lot of films. (laughs) (laughs) In a weird sense, in terms of TV, it's that classic thing of it was really horrible to begin with and we had to almost build it up so that we could make a TV show there. So in terms of power and rigging it and all the sets that we built and I mean the sets weren't built they were kind of built on top of what was already there but then the classic thing of you know making sure that it's uh, uh, no one's going to hurt themselves so you do all of that and then you kind of look at it and go oh it kind of looks a little bit less apocalyptic than when we first got here so you then go through this whole process of distressing it so you throw in this cast of eight people isn't it it's ten ten yeah it's initially ten. is it yeah how did you find those people why were they right for the show from the off, the tagline was, do you think you could survive a zombie apocalypse? You know, at the moment, zombie and apocalyptic things are quite big. We actually got a lot of people who uh, were interested to begin with. I think the first thing we thought was we needed to whittle down the people who were really serious about it. I would say the biggest challenge for us with this genre is that everything is related to violence and weapons and how you kill zombies. And obviously, for a reality show, we can do that. There were a large percentage of people who didn't kind of make the first pass because, you know, the in their video it was, I would have my crossbow and my axe and I would, Weapons you know... obsessed. Yeah, <laughs> basically, I would kill things left, right and centre. Yeah, we were kind of just looking for people who were, you know, kind of classic reality show casting. We wanted them to be diverse, but I think our... Our main thing was, would you see this cast in, like, The Walking Dead or a zombie film? You know, you have the innocent one, the older one, the alpha male. Weirdly, we talked about Bake Off a lot as well because we were saying, you know, could you see them in a zombie film and could these people go on on Bake Off, you know? It's an unusual inspiration. (laughs) It is a little bit, but actually I think it was quite a good thing for us. I think for this kind of show to have something that you can call people to action, like, do you think you could do this? really really helps because it's not just a case of do you just want to come on a show and try and get famous and it's it almost becomes big brother-esque at times doesn't it because obviously they they're in this lockdown section of the retail center and you see them going about you know surviving i guess i've worked on big brother and i love it and big brother is like influences this show immensely from lots of things, you know, technically, how it's shot. We don't make any qualms about saying that it's not like that. I think we just added other elements of different programmes and different things to it. All of these things kind of add up to make something feel a little bit different. I mean, and ultimately, that's the zombie apocalypse, really. Yeah. Did you have to test if people were sort of psychologically capable of taking on this challenge? Because I imagine once you're in that world, you become quite immersed in it. Uh, this is what I would say is the only new element. So, you know, the team, the development team, we all went on these zombie runs and we went and did them to just, you know, find out, you know, it's good research. And the one thing that you find is that even if you're in civilization and the zombies kind of, they're, they're not great, but, you know, they're there, but you're given a mission, it's very easy to get scared. It's quite easy to get people into that world. The bubble and how people were going to respond to it was something new. And 
you only ever do those other things for a few hours and this was for seven days potentially and you weren't going to see anybody you weren't going to see any civilization we were really going to try and make this bubble this immersive world uh, feel as authentic as possible and i think those are the things that we slightly worried about but we had a team of psychologists. Everyone was screened. And what about the zombies? I mean, how 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 big a cast did you have? And was there some sort of zombie academy? Were you training them all up? <laughs> yes. There's. A, I mean, that was a lot of fun. But the zombies were, I would say, the most complicated thing about making this show because we had different grades of zombies. We had about seventy five zombies in total. We worked with a company up in Scotland called Scare Scotland, who had done some other immersive projects with zombies, and I think that was bit of luck for us and yeah we had basically grade one zombies who were more likely to be on camera near on camera they would they took quite a long time in makeup uh, not everyone could be made up like that because it was basically three hours and then we had grade two zombies who were a bit further back but might get caught in the game so they needed to know the rules of the game and what they you know should and shouldn't do and how to respond and how not to be violent and all of these things and then grade three zombies were generally the numbers that made up the, the horde of zombies when the number of zombies gets bigger. Do you give them relative free reign as well? I mean, obviously it's one touch, isn't it? And the contestant is then eliminated. So within those boundaries, are they able to run as quickly as they like? And, and, and No, we had to uh, regulate the speed and everything. So, you know, the games are very produced like a proper game show, but really it's about how quick the zombies move and how they act and how they work within that particular game. But, you know, they got really into it. They wanted to get to eliminate the other people, but we just had to make sure that it was fair and that they didn't go out of their way and do it. You know, all of a sudden they're pretending to be a zombie and then they just start running like a human because they want to try and get one of the contestants out. And just finally, you're starting to have conversations about how this might work internationally. Do you think you can use the Scotland set as a, as a sort of production hub and, and bring other other teams of uh, production teams from around the world in and, and, and shoot it for them? I really hope so. I mean, it depends on what the country is, but I mean, the team in Scotland were brilliant. It's a great location. You know, if other territories want to do it as a first series, I think it's a great spot for them to do it. And we've done it there and we know how it works. But I mean, I'm not sure how a uh, Japanese group of uh, <laughs> contestants would look there, but no, it's, it's a great place. Clearly this makes a bit of a case for BBC Three, do you think? I would like to think so, yeah. I think this is exactly the kind of show BBC Three should be making. We could talk much longer about BBC Three, but yeah, hopefully hopefully it is. Fantastic. All right, well, look, thanks for joining us. Uh, I Survived a Zombie Apocalypse continues on BBC Three this Sunday at 10pm. Welcome back to Maple Street Studios. I'm pleased to say that Camilla Lewis and Robin Parker are still with me and it's time to get stuck into some previews. First on the agenda this week is BBC Two's Banished, a seven-part drama series telling the story of British convicts sent to an 18th century Australian penal colony. Creator Jimmy McGovern said it's the best story he has come across in 30 years and he has never written anything so character-driven. And this from the man who created Cracker and the Street. In this clip, after an altercation with another convict at breakfast, James Freeman, played by Russell Tovey, finds his path blocked by a prison guard. Out of bounds. I need to get in. And steal your mate's food. To get my food. You've had your food. Someone stole it. Who? Please, let me in. Tell me who it was that stole your food and I'll think about it. I will not always be a convict. Breakfast is over! On your feet! Get to work! Camilla, as you can hear, it's laugh a minute. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it's um, it's got all the ingredients of something that should be a hit on the grounds that it's gritty. It sounds like, although it's based in historical facts, telling me something about somewhere that, although I sort of know it was all made up by prisoners in Australia, actually giving me some, of the, some sort of factual context for it and giving me a sense of the background and the history of, of where Australia formed, which, of course, is a huge thing for the British audience because we, you know, as a nation, are very interested in Down Under. Um, I, I think it's a brilliant subject area, a really, really brave commission for BBC Two to go into. And also nice to see a bit of a gritty costume drama. I'm a bit over glitzy and everything looking a bit too clean. Robin, what did you make of it? I wanted to love it, and I do love Jimmy McGovern's work, and I think his best writing, it sort of leaves you breathless. In a way, you know, you're sort of drawn into this and you sort of, he sucks you in and then sort of spits you out an hour later. With this, I just didn't find, although the setting and the general storyline, you know, was was good, I just didn't feel like this was as compelling as some of his previous writing. He talked about it being more character driven there and perhaps the, perhaps because he's not looking at the issue, so to speak, which he often brings to his best work, it felt a bit flatter to me overall. I really liked it. <laughs> That's fine. We're allowed to have yeah, a yeah, yeah. I mean, it sort of throws you into this world, and it, yeah. gri- it grips you pretty tight. I mean, it's it, it is a bit coarse at times, and uh, course is good, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think it's a it's it's, it's just right for BBC Two. It's, 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 it's a gritty period drama that doesn't feel like a period drama, and all that. So its appeal will be wide in that sense. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's just these characters. He didn't quite hit the ground running for me and in a way for me that feels like a good thing because there's so many good dramas on the moment I, I don't want to get sucked into another one no, like that, that. I know but also a lot of good dramas episode one isn't when you get sucked in it's there kind of episodes that. two and three and then suddenly by four you're addicted and you have to watch all of them at once so I watched a little bit of episode two mm. and it sort of it does settle down yeah. um, it's not quite as fast uh, it does move pretty quickly. The first episode, it does. It? Although it felt long, I don't it felt long to me. Maybe it was just because I was a bit tired watching it last night. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I found myself a lot of the time just trying to work out how Julian Rintut doesn't age. Which was probably <laughs> not the best. A hero, that's it's why. probably probably not the best. What did you make of Russell Tovey? Um, I can't uh, get past him in here. No, <laughs> I like I like him more in comedy, and because he's, he's still you know he's still got the the white boy accent in it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit jarring, but you know he gave it his all. It's a good character, so I'm he sure does, give it does, a couple of episodes. He does give it some gusto. Yeah, doesn't he? I mean he's he's become identified with some very specific roles, and it's probably quite hard for him to feel like he has to break out into something new and be accepted for. I it, just so. love the David Wenham's character, the the governor, mm. and uh, the Hound from Game of Thrones. Yes, playing the hound, of playing the Hound from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, that was a nice. <laughs> All right, Banished is produced by RSJ Films and Cecil Films. It begins on the 5th of March at 9pm on BBC Two. And last but not least, something a little different. We're going to sample the new series from Teletubbies creator Anne Wood. Commissioned by CBeebies, Twirly Woos focuses on four small bird-like creatures who are inquisitive, enthusiastic and looking to learn something new. In each episode, they go on an adventure and help preschool children make their own connections with the world. In this episode, the Twirly Woos explore the concept of full with some teacups and a jug of watermelon juice. Full. 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 Twirly. Mm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what's not to love? I, I find myself going into a meditative state. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, you know, CBBC and CBBS really, really hits the audience head on. 
and you don't need to have children to understand it by watching it. It's brilliant. Anne Wood is one of the best creators in that world. And, and you know, I mean, obviously Teletubbies is sitting there like a you know, scary big beast in, 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 still. Um, but um, what a brilliant commission. I think it's lovely. I think it sounds you know, just it's, what you want your kids charming, to watch. It's charming, isn't it? Charming. Yeah. It's very charming. And the, the style of animation is very, very sweet. It, it sort of harks back to uh, perhaps you know, the worlds of something like Pingu, but a little bit more gentle, uh, a little bit slower. Um, against you know the mixture of real life and animation, which is quite a you know a, a, we've written about in broadcasters, so it was quite a challenge for them on this production. And I think that's just come off quite effortlessly. And there's shades of her other work in there. You know, they they enjoy falling over and you know wiggling their legs in the air and that sort of thing. So do they fart at one point? I couldn't quite work that out. Not in the one I saw. I didn't see yeah. the first. That's your, your imagination. I think. <laughs> no, I swear they do. Yeah. <laughs> well, they may they may well may well have done, but. Um, yeah. I think it's a really great evolution of that world that we know works—the kind of the very jolly preschool world—and it's got that tactile, that tactile thing, which I, th- which I think is nice in a, you know, sort of a CGI world. It's not as slow as in the Night Garden, which I think parents will probably oh. welcome. <laughs> I um, found that very hard in yeah. the Night Garden. Is it slow? Is it slow? Well, it's from meditative to, to at soporific. Yes, <laughs> well, I suppose that's <laughs> the point. That's the point, isn't it? It's meant to make you go to sleep. Although yes. if CBBC goes till nine o'clock, all the parents in the country will be delighted about that. I must say, early <laughs> bedtime. This is all part of the BBC Three proposal. Genius idea. Genius. You're, you're, I mean, as a parent, I'm thrilled that my children will want to stay up until nine o'clock watching telly. Thanks. <laughs> You're effortlessly going full circle to our new That's section. That's my way. Yes, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, she can pretty much do no wrong. It's going to work for its audience, and I'm sure it'll be. It's a, it's sold a lovely commission by Kay. Kay Bembo really does get CBBC. She's perfectly suited for that role. It's brilliant. Yeah, there's an infinite. There's sort of infinite variations of cute, squeaky things, isn't yeah. there? And it's yeah. very, and it's very simple. Each, you know, each episode focuses on a word, whether it's like an action or a description and it's all the permutations of that. that uh, just quickly, Anne Wood sort of washed her hands of the uh, the Teletubbies remake, hasn't she? Uh, well, it was overplayed a bit. I think she said it was it was a bit sad that we keep going back to old shows. And I think she sort of kind of, in the, in the interview in the radio time, she kind of understood that's inevitable in the kind of, you know, recession kind of times. Um, so I think perhaps her comments are a little bit overblown, but, but, but clearly it was her labour of love. It's had its time and if she's not involved, in the, her, if she's not involved in the new one, then why should she? No, but also I think it's just good, a good program maker. You move on from yeah. them. You make you make your shows, and if, if you're lucky enough to get a hit, which we we all rarely do, you know, it is you you move on to the next mm. thing. I mean, she doesn't rarely actually. She pretty much does. Full stop. Okay, Twirly Woos launches on CBBS on the twenty third of February. And sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, thanks to all my guests, Sebastian Grant, Camilla Lewis and Robin Parker. I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. We'll be back in a couple of weeks as usual. So until then, farewell for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 